You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Good being with you. We are in the book of Jonah. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. So um, how many of you guys have ever uh, been off-road before? Raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand if you've been off-road. How many of you ever been on a trip and you drove accidentally, maybe a snow or the rain, and found yourself in a ditch? You ever been there before? Needed somebody to come tow you out, needed to figure out how to get into four-wheel drive and get going. Well, the other day, uh, opening day of uh, dove season, it's a hunting season for those of us that hunt and uh, really love our freedom of being able to bear arms. And it's a family tradition in my household. We do it every year. I'm out driving. It's uh, with my son in the truck. Got some buddies here from the church. We're out going, getting ready for opening morning at dove season. I'm in a familiar area that I should know really well. And Unfortunately, I don't know, I was having a good time. Music's up, it's dark. We're cruising in my Tacoma out there in the field, uh, having a great time. And all of a sudden, my son says, Dad, you know this area pretty well? I said, yeah, I know where we're going. All of a sudden, I just like ran off into the hugest ditch. And I totally forgot that that was a major washout that went down into this wash. And I'm like, oh, snap. I mean, like, I'm thinking, I have destroyed my oil pan. Like, my truck is toast. So I put it into, I'm just, I start to gas it a little bit, and it's going nowhere. I put it in reverse, it's going nowhere. I'm like, oh, no. So then I put it into neutral, and I think, all right, I'm going to put it into four low. So that's why we have four-wheel drives. Put it into four low, put it into reverse, boom. I pop out and I'm like, yeah, that's what it's about right there. I'm like, the trip must go on. Um, uh, Rewind a while ago, I was in my truck and we were going to Flagstaff and it was a big snow day and we were going as a family and I'm pumped because I got a new truck and taking the family out there. We go out to Kendrick Peaks and it's a big snowy mess of a place and it's tons of fun but if you've ever driven in snow before like you can get snow blinded by all the bright snow and the sunshine and I'm out out there driving and then all of a sudden I like I don't see any more tracks but my eyes are like blinded and I'm having a good time got the music up all the family in the car we're cruising and all of a sudden my wife says like are there tracks anymore because I don't see any I'm like no we're good and all of a sudden I'm like way out in the snow middle of nowhere and then I just put the, press the gas, nothing. And she's like, I thought you bought a truck because it's like a four-wheel drive. Like, what's going on? So I put it in reverse, nothing. And I'm like, oh, snap. And then she's like, how far away from the road? I'm like, oh, a couple miles. It's in the afternoon. It's cold. It's like freezing cold. I got my family out there. I'm like, newsflash, pastor kills his family. They all die and freeze to death out in Flagstaff. And I'm like, this is not going good. So then my little daughter, like a good little Christian kid, comes up to me and she goes, Daddy, have you prayed? I'm like, you are so sweet. I forgot to pray. Let's pray. So she prays, Lord, help us to get out of this. Help us to get out of this ditch. Help us, God. And right then, I kid you not, this back or this uh, cross-country skier is like skiing by. And he goes, hey, you stuck? I'm like, no, I just like to sit out in the middle of the field. 
And he's like, you need a hand? I'm like, yeah, I'd love a hand. How, what can you do? He goes, I got a shovel back in my truck. Obviously, you're not from here because Flagstonians carry snow shovels. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you guys do. So we go back, we get the snow shovel, dig the truck out. I kid you not, we're out of there in no time. I put it into neutral because you got to get to neutral first. Then you can put it into four low and then you can back up and get out of there. And it was awesome. Here's what I've learned, lesson learned, is that if you don't get to neutral in your life and you just keep driving your life, you're in control. That's why Carrie Underwood said, Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. You're like, if you're driving your own life and then you get in, make a bad decision, you find yourself in a ditch. Some of you have crashed and burned. Some of your, your whole life is a train wreck. And you're in trouble, and then you got to ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do right now? Because I am stuck. You ever been stuck before? Financially, an addiction, trouble, marriage trouble, business trouble, you're stuck. You can't get out. You need help. Somebody come tow me out. God, send an angel. Do something. You ever been there before? Raise your hand. You've been stuck before. Stuck in life. We all get stuck. Here's what you need to do. You need to realize when we look at the story of Jonah, Jonah was stuck. (laughs) He was stuck in the belly of a whale. That's where he was. But what happened? I think Jonah moved it to neutral. I think when God said, I need you to trust me, I need you to go into Nineveh, I need you to preach this message, he told them, "Uh, nah, I'm going in reverse and he's going the opposite direction. God said, no, I need you to get to neutral because then I can tell you where you want to go. See, what we do is we shift it into gear and we think we've got everything covered. We don't. We got to get to this place of neutral. It's like this with your hands. Like when God gives you something, you keep your hands up like this. You don't grab onto it and say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Or else you sound like Smeagol from the Lord of the Rings. You keep your hands up. You keep it open. You say, God, whatever you want to do. It's yours. And he says, I want you to put it into neutral so you can trust me. That way, if I want you to go forward, you're ready to go forward. If I say go back, you go back. If I say put it into lock it low, you need to lock it low. Jonah is there. He's in neutral zone. And you can't do anything good for God until you get neutral. When you try to drive your own life, when you get stuck, when you get in trouble, get to neutral. Neutral is the best place to be. So let's look what Jonah does. Chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He's been spit out of the belly of the well. He's back right where he started. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Read it with me. The second, what? Time. You there? The second time. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. Here's the good news real quick. This is the second time. This is the second time Jonah has heard from God, impressed upon him, audibly spoke. We don't know, but we know this. The Lord told Jonah, chapter one, verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, said, arise, go to that city. Now it's the second time. Good news about our good God. He's the God of second chances. You get yourself in trouble, you go the wrong direction, you're, you're in a train wreck situation, 
God's the God of second chances. This man is, is deliberately been in disobedience, gets swallowed by the, by the whale as a, really an act of preservation for this man's life so he didn't drown. And in that belly of the well, he gets to neutral and says, take me wherever you want to go. And you know what the Lord does? He says, hey, fish, I need you to take him over here, drop him off, spit him out, make it extra nasty when you spit him. So he goes out, he's there, he's, we see him here. So Jonah arose, look what it says, verse three. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the what? The word of the Lord. Let's say that together. The word of the Lord. Let's do that again. The word of the Lord. Three different times it's already been mentioned. As a, you need to know, um, at this church, we're going to teach you how to study the Bible. One of the first steps in studying the Bible is called observation. You constantly study. I mean, that's why you, you, you see this repeated, repeatedly. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. But hang on, back up real quick. Think about this. He, he's finally getting it. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in school before and you didn't get good grades and then your teacher says to you, if you don't pay attention or those of you that have kids and you're like, hey, you really need to pay attention. You really need to get these D's off your report card. You really need to get this F off your report card because if you don't, you're gonna do summer school or you're gonna have to repeat the grade. You ever, you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? God's basically said, Jonah, you thought you were taking a shortcut, but actually it was a long cut because you're going right, you're starting right back where we started. So now Jonah, he's got it into neutral. He's saying, all right, God, show me where you want me to go. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh says, Nineveh was this exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Nineveh, let me remind you what Nineveh is. Nineveh is the 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 prince and the pompous of the Assyrian Empire. Powerful. It's a powerful city. They're not known for their kindness or their diplomacy. They're known for their brutality and their military power and strength. They would line up skulls along the roadways and pile them at the gates of their conquered victims that they had conquered in the neighboring nations. They were a terror. The Israelites hated their name because they knew they were long-term enemies. Nineveh is in what's now modern-day Mosul. It's a real city. Nineveh was a powerful city. They were so mean and brutal that they would skin their victims alive, those that they imprisoned or conquered in war, skin them and then paste their skins to the wall. They'd impale their corpses, line Main Street with it as a sign of we're powerful. At the gates, there were these powerful uh, stone statues archaeologists found as a symbol of brutality and strength. And Nineveh wasn't something you messed with. Jonah has to go. I can imagine he would be hesitant, wouldn't you? I mean, go and go speak to those people. So, but he goes. It's an exceedingly great city. There's a population of about a million people in this city at this time, in, in this ancient city. It's exceedingly great city. That's mentioned again. You see it was mentioned verse two as a great city. Verse three, exceedingly great. It's a three days journey in breadth. If you were to walk from the north end of Phoenix to the south end of Phoenix, it'd take you a bit. Uh, 
Jonah had to, had to go. He, it, it, I don't know how long it would take us to walk from North Phoenix to South Phoenix. You can probably Google the walk distance and drop your plot points on your uh, map and find out. But Jonah is gonna go three days and then look what it says. Verse four, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, day one, and he called out, this is his message, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's like, have you ever been, have you ever been downtown or you've been in, in an urban context and you see like the street preacher and he's like preaching and he kind of looks a little angry or frustrated and you're like, woo. And he's like, repent or burn. And you're like, dude, isn't there another way to do that? God's using this guy. This is a confrontational evangelism style. Imagine Jonah. Now, Jonah, he probably looks pretty nasty. He's been swallowed for three days in the belly of a well. His skin is bleached out. He's got like skin problems. He looks like acid-washed skin. He probably stinks. He's probably tired. He's probably hungry. But he makes a great kind of freak show looking pastor preacher preaching doomsday. And he's got people's attention. Let me tell you why he's got people's attention. It's interesting. I did some research this week and found out that one of the Assyrian gods was the god Dagon. If you Google him, you can check him out. He's like this mythical Loch Ness monster creature man. And they worship the god of this great creature fish. So imagine Jonah. He's got a reputation. The city's heard about this guy. And all of a sudden, People have been talking about this guy. Did you hear about that guy, Jonah? Dagon ate him. No. Dagon spit him out. And now he's here. And he's walking around and he's preaching 40 days or this whole city's gonna be overthrown. He's got a message. People are listening to him. And here's the other thing. He didn't like the Ninevites, so I can imagine this kind of message would kind of be, he would like this. He's preaching basically, you're gonna be overthrown. He's probably got some anger. He's probably got some issues there, but God's going to use them anyway. So he's walking around, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And verse five, and the people of Nineveh, look what happens, believed God. It's shocking to me. Very crazy kind of story of how this man is being called by God to go to Nineveh. He's thinking they're going to be overthrown. But verse five tells us the people of Nineveh believe God, not in their God, but in Jonah's God, the, the true God, the God of Israel, the, the, the one true God. They believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse six, and then the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. It doesn't sound comfortable. Sackcloth would be like burlap, putting it on. It was a sign of mourning. It was a national movement from the top of the top to the lowest of the low. There's a massive revival. Historians and scholars and pastors and preachers have said it was the largest one-time revival event ever recorded in human history. Bigger than anything Billy Graham could ever do, Luis Palau or whoever, what other, other evangelists that you think of, nothing compared to Nineveh. The king gets transformed in this process. He turns towards God. They go through a process of repentance Jonah wasn't expecting that, I, I promise you. 
He, he was wanting them to be overthrown. Wouldn't you want your enemies to be overthrown? If they have long-lasting standing of a history of invading nations, killing innocent men, women, and children, wouldn't you want that? Jonah, Jonah did. You're going to see that next week. So he preaches this message thinking that God's actually going to overthrow, overturn the whole city. But the people believe God. They call for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word reaches the king. He arises from his throne, removes his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and, and sat in ashes. In verse 7, and he issued, listen to this, a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. And said this, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, even the animals. This king's going all the way. He's like, everybody is going to endure this. Listen, let them not... Uh, let them not feed or, or drink water, verse 8, but let the man and the beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That's probably what, if you would Google the Assyrian Empire, you would find these different kings, these rulers, and you would see, you would see their brutality. They were known for their violence. And the king acknowledges in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. There's a sense of guilt. There's a sense of remorse. That's called repentance. Um, you can't find salvation with God unless you come to a place when you get to neutral and you say, I'm done driving. I'm done. I need you, God. This is what this king does. And then he's not, he's not demanding it. God, you better do A, B, and C. He's saying that God may be gracious and relent. See, maybe, maybe God had been working in the heart of this king for a very long time. Maybe God had been working in the Ninevites' heart for a long time. Maybe there were some Israelite missionaries that had showed up in Nineveh and started to tell them about the one true God. Because from the very beginning, when you look at the Abrahamic covenant and you see that the call of Abraham was to be a light among all the nations, Genesis chapter 12, that's called the Abrahamic covenant. Israel's role and responsibility was always to be a light among all nations. And what were they doing? They were playing the holy huddle and they didn't want to go anywhere so maybe 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 there'd been something going on behind the backstory maybe their heart was being ready and all of a sudden they're like dang dig on god didn't got him but he didn't actually get him and then jonah conquered him and then whew, maybe you got a dig on god just a worthless idol does no good and maybe you're contemplating the one true God. And they, this is the posture I think we all ought to have and come into faith in Jesus Christ. I came to this place and I said, I'm done. I'm done with Ryan Rice. Done. Life's been a train wreck. Done. God, if you want me, take me. And I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't even know where I'm going to go. I don't know anything really. So I surrender. That's, that's that message we say, the Christian life, surrender all. I was lost, then I was found. 
Sometimes you got to get to the bottom of yourself so you know that you can't do it on your own so that God has got the place and the opportunity to say, hey, I am a savior. (laughs) Why why do we need a, a savior if we don't need saving? The king comes to the spot. He's, he's actually should be. He should be noted here. What leadership to turn an entire nation away from their pagan practices and trust in the one true God? Verse 10, again, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the, the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Here's a principle for you that when you repent, God relents. When you repent, that means turning from sin, God relents. Nobody wants to tell you this, but I will tell you this. If you are not a Christian, if you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are not God's friend. You stand as an enemy of God. I I hate to tell you that. But it's absolutely true. You are, the Bible says God loves the world. Yes, he does. God says that he, he came to the world to send his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But when you are in opposition with the one who made you, you don't stand as a friend. You stand as an enemy. And what the joy though is, is that God says, I don't want you to turn from being my enemy to my friend. And that happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then as a Christian, let me tell you something that's so good, is that God promises that he'll never forsake you, never leave you, that his favor, his mercy, his goodness will follow you all the days of your life, even when you do another train wreck, even when you drive off into a ditch because of your bad decisions, or get caught up in it because somebody else did. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And so here we have this principle that when we repent, God relents. And even as a Christian, once you become a Christian, you still realize that God's like, he's a good father, but he's a father who disciplines his kids. He's like, you run off and do some bad things. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to use guilt. I'm going to use your conscience. I'm going to use whatever. I'm going to keep you up at night. I want your life uncomfortable until you make peace with me because my life is the best life. And so when we got this uneasiness in our soul, maybe we need to do a heart check. Are we in neutral? There's no greater place that you can be in a relationship with God than in a life that says, I'm walking in obedience. St. Augustine said it something like this. He said, the soul will be restless until it finds its contentment in thee. That's what he said. Soul fatigue, weariness, been running around looking for something else. This king turns to God and he finds rest and restoration. So three lessons from the messenger, Jonah. What can we learn from this guy? Number one, I would say as a believer, you need to listen for a word from the Lord I'm going to go charismatic for, on you for a minute because this is important. Um, Jonah heard audibly from God, most likely. I mean, unless God used another way to reveal himself. But the Bible says the word of the Lord that typically means like God supernaturally came down and spoke through some means, some form and said to Jonah, this is what I want you to do. Can God speak today? 
in that same realm. He can do anything. He is free, however. A normative pattern is this, is that God still gives gifts. He wants his believers to hear from them, listen to them with specific instructions that might not be clearly outlined in the scriptures, but the principles and the truths are still there. Let me, let me illustrate that with the story, and then I'm going to come back it up in 1 Corinthians, those of you that want to look in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. It's about spiritual gifts. I'm going to tell you a story that how God, I got a word from the Lord, if you want to call it that. For my Baptist friends that don't like to talk about spiritual gifts, um, you would say, well, the Lord impressed your heart. Good, okay, fine, whatever you want to call it. Or you, you just kind of had a, some kind of n- niche towards discernment. Okay, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. But let me tell you what happened to me and how God used it. So, and I encourage you to listen for a word from the Lord. So I'm down in Waco, Texas. This is before uh, Chip and Joanne made Waco cool. Uh, I was dealing with the David Koresh aftermath. So everybody's like, oh, you're in Waco? Ooh, you're not joining that, <laughs> that, that movement, are you? I'm like, no, 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 no. I was a new Christian and my friend's like, dude, you gotta come down to Waco. I'm like, I've seen stuff on bad TV about that. I don't know if I wanna go down to Waco. But I, there's some friends of mine that were on fire for the Lord. They had a love. They just like were radically saved out of the party culture and they went down to Waco. They were going to Baylor. They're going to MCC Community College. So I go down there with my new Christian friends because I got no friends because I abandoned the old life. I had to. So I, boom, big shift. Go down to Waco. Friend hands me a systematic theology book by Dr. Wayne Grudem. Huge book about theology. I'm a new believer. God has been doing a big work in my life. I read the Bible every day. I'm reading the theology book. And we get to the section about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And I start studying it. I'm like, man, this is really cool. Maybe I should pray and ask God to kind of like speak to me. I'm like, that's kind of weird. So I did it. So I'm down on my room. I kid you not, I remember the place. Got down on my hands and knees and I just, in prayer time, reading the Bible like crazy. I said, God, I don't know how this stuff works. But if you want to say something to me, say it. Because I read your Bible and I feel like I just read. But like, do you have something to say to me that's not in your Bible right now that you want me to know? And all of a sudden, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed him say, encourage your sister. And I'm like, I, me and my sister weren't on the greatest terms. Like, I love her and all. She was older than me. We, I, I don't know. So, and I'm not very thoughtful. You know, I'm a new Christian. And I've still got a lot of rough edges. And so I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's real. So God, I said, if there's something you want to share with me that you want me to do, just tell me. And all of a sudden, the Lord's like, encourage your sister. I'm like, God, if there's something else you got for me, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord said, send her some flowers. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to follow this whole Holy Spirit movement kind of thing. Like, I'm like, all right, this is cool. We'll see what happens. So I find, I don't know how I did it back then. I don't think we had the internet and definitely didn't have all the email stuff. So I get a hold of a flower shop right outside of St. Louis. And I call the lady and I said, hey, my name is Ryan and I need to send some flowers to my sister. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so kind. And I said, yeah, and I got this Bible verse. Could you write it down on the card? And I just want it handwritten. And would you just write that down for me? And she said, sure, I'll do that. And so she starts writing down this Bible verse. And we got about halfway through. And then she just broke down and started crying on the phone. 
And I'm like, what's going on? You okay? And she said, I'm going through a divorce. I don't know what to do with my kids. That was my life verse that my mom dedicated to me. I hadn't been in church in so long. I told God today, if he didn't intervene into my life, then I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit on God. And you're calling today with that Bible verse. And I said, well, that's funny. I said, I was just trying to send some flowers to my sister. And she said, well, it's so much more than that. I'm like, you're right, it is. I want to tell you something, friends. I think God has a word for you every single day. It could be real simple. Walk across the street, go talk to that guy. You're at a party, see that one person sitting over there. The Lord says, did you go talk to him? Did you just sit down and just say hello? You see the homeless guy on the side of the street, I'm not giving him money, he's a bum, he's going to drink and get drunk, and I'm not going to do that. But then that day, the Lord says, go do that, and you go, here's a buck, here's, here's, here's whatever. We need to be more in tune with our Heavenly Father, man. Do you hear what I'm saying? God has something to say to you, he wants to speak to you, he wants to work with you, and, and you need a word from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 through 11 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, For to one is given through the spirit of the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith, there's a gift of faith, and and all of these, in verse 11, all of these are empowered by the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God's got a lot of gift for his kids, and he wants you to use them. There's a gift of teaching. There's a gift of hospitality. Um, it's not listed in the Bible, but I think the music that we experience is, is a gift. There are a lot of gifts. There's a gift of discernment. Some people you know you meet with, and you're like, man, how are they so discerning? Well, God gives gifts and he wants us to use them. Some of us have a better understanding of like maybe what God's doing in a situation and those, those people oftentimes make good counselors, amen? You're like, man, I wanna go to that person and talk to that person. That person has a gift of wisdom. And what we see with Jonah is he finally listens, but you know how he listened? He finally got to neutral. He finally got to neutral. So... When I thought I was just sending some flowers, God said, no, you're doing a lot more than sending flowers. You're going to help a young lady who's going through a terrible divorce, a really tough time, and give her hope. Another time, I'll tell you one more story, is a guy on our staff team said, hey, man, I got a bad feeling about something. You ever heard that before? Hey, man, I got a bad feeling about something. And every year, there's folks that we know in our church and in the community, they're like, man, I'm on the edge. And we feel like we're talking him off a cliff. And he said, I got a bad feeling about this guy. I said, well, you probably ought to go call that guy right now. So he goes and calls him. He, guy, the phone rings and he says, how are you doing, man? I just, I felt like I needed to call you. He said, man, you'd never guess, but I, I'm actually out in the desert and I'm not doing well. I kind of at the end and I was about to, I was about to take my life and you called right then. I want to tell you something, friends, that God actually wants to work with you and through you all the time. How do you know it's not just yourself talking and it's actually the Spirit of God? You know when the principles and the truths of the Scripture are just super consistent. So you, you, you would never need to do anything that would violate Scripture, but you do need to know that there is this crazy, mysterious relationship with the Spirit of God working with His people, trying to help them understand and discern something to get in a divine direction. 
and, and go through life to make decisions. You need, you need the Spirit of God when you're making a business deal. You need the Spirit of God when you're navigating a difficult situation. You need the Spirit of God to be an influence in your, your families and your friends. You need the Spirit of God. Number two lesson learned is go where no one else will go. Jonah does that. He's going to Nineveh. Not many people were filling out that application. Not really anybody wanted to go. This is, a neighboring, this is a neighboring nation that has a long history. It's not a popular spot. Uh, many of you guys recall, I, if you were here in the second service or watched online, but I mentioned that story. Uh, first, week last, uh, first service last week, a guy walks into the middle of my message, sits down right there on the chair. I thought it was a little odd. Didn't know really who he was. Um, after the service, he approaches me and says, hey, I'm from, I'm an Iraqi Christian. I'm going to Nineveh. I saw you online. I came today because I need prayer. I've worked with the Bush administration. Now I'm working with the Trump administration to help support my people. Uh, We're in Mosul. I've got family and friends and believers and they've been pushed out even though we see on TV and we think everything might be good over there. It's not. Churches were bombed. Churches were destroyed by radical Islamic groups. And this guy says, and, and I, I, I want you to pray for me, tell your church to pray for me. He says, but don't use my name because I'll be a target. So we're just going to call him Jonah. And Jonah said to me, he said, Jonah, he said pray, pray for me because I'm, 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 my family's upset with me, but I know this is what God said to me to go. So I'm leaving tomorrow. I want to challenge you. You need to go where no one else will go. You need to do what no one else will do. Um, many of you say, well, I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to go to a crazy place like in the Middle East, but maybe you could go across the border in Mexico. We, we build houses down in Mexico and during spring break, what if you traded out and you started to go where no one else would go and do things that no, most people wouldn't do? Most people spend their spring breaks on ski trips, cruises, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Listen, you're not, you shouldn't feel guilty or bad for enjoying what God has provided in your life. However, if the portfolio of your life doesn't include selfless acts of service for those in need, locally and globally, you ought to, you ought to get it back into neutral, friends. Um, this is a house that we built uh, a few years ago. With a, we have a mi- missionary partnership called I-68. Um, this year, we couldn't go down there because of corona hit, and, and I really felt like, and I prayed with our leadership team, you call it a word from the Lord, call it whatever, but we're like, no, we sense that maybe there might be border issues. I mean, obviously, that was a talk in the news and blah, 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 and sure enough, they shut the, shut the borders, and I asked, came to you as a church. I said, let's give anyway. Let's, let's send all our money down there anyway. Trust the leadership team to go ahead and build that house if you can get the people because our people don't feel comfortable to go. But I'm gonna challenge our people to go ahead and write the checks. Let's go ahead and build that house. And Scott from down there, he said, man, you'd never guess what happened, Ryan. We found a family. Oh, we're building the house. And we got the support. But guess what their name is? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, Corona. Their last name was Corona. I said, dude, that's funny, dude. Corona? He said, yeah, their last name is Corona. I'm like, God's got a sense of humor. That in Corona and things get shut down, God's plans are still gonna move forward. Let me challenge you, go where no one else will go. 
Talk to that person nobody else talks to. You got that crazy family member that you want to write them off every time? Go sit beside them. See the troubled person in your neighborhood? Go talk to them. Because if you don't, they might just take their life that day. That's how this whole thing works. God wants to work with you. He wants to reveal something to you to be used by him, to go where no one else will go, and then secondly, to say what no one else will say. Some of you got no problems talking about your sports team. I get it. I'm a Cardinals fan. I don't like the Seahawks. Those are fake birds. I like real birds, Cardinals. And I can talk trash all day long about the sports teams, you know, and I'm proud. I'm excited. We got Kyler Murray coming up. We got DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, come on. This is a dream team that we are making. And some of you guys are like, Kyler's just too short. He needs some stilts. But I'm like, no, no, he's good. We don't have any problem talking about our sports team. And we can take, talk trash. And some of us will take a step further and talk po- politics and get engaged in social media. But what about our faith? What about that? Are you a bold Christian or a fearful Christian? Are you open to have spiritual conversation? Because guess what? Research shows that 90% of people are actually open to have spiritual conversations. You go hardcore, Jesus is the only way. Real quick, well, you might lose the conversation. But, and that is true, but they're open to having spiritual conversations. Yesterday, I'm sitting around my friends in Pine Top. They're watching online right now. And I had some awesome conversations with a friend of mine talking all sorts about faith, and differences and ideas, total stranger. And uh, people are open to having spiritual conversations. Say what no one else will say. You, we're called to go into all nations and to preach the gospel. And you're like, how does that happen? Well, we travel internationally. We got people moving in. We got folks all around us in our country. You got opportunities to go down to Mexico to share and show the love of Christ. You probably travel on vacation internationally. You probably work internationally at some level or another. We have a global call upon our life. Lesson one was you better listen for a word from the Lord. Lesson two is go where no one else will go. And lesson three is say what no one else will say. So how do you do that? I'll give you three easy tips to share your faith. This isn't in your notes. But number one, this is real easy. Just talk about yourself. Because that'll get you going. Like that'll warm you up. And it's very non-threatening. So it goes like this. I do it all the time. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Doing good? Cool. You from around here? No. No. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm from uh, over in uh, North Phoenix. Oh, cool. What do you do? Well, okay, so you're like, oh, I'm not a pastor, right? So I'm like, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I say, oh, I work in the community. Oh, that's cool. I'm involved with this church called North Valley. Love it. It's a good, good place. Good people. You ever coming through? Yeah, I'm coming through. You ever want to visit? I don't know. Maybe. But I can start talking about myself. I lose the edge. I don't get so freaked out. I don't get so nervous. When you start talking and just opening your mouth, you begin to just kind of loosen up and lighten up. And then you, you can just begin to move from there. The second thing I'd encourage you to think about is talking about, is just talking about, this is the hard part, talk about sin. Because nobody needs saving unless we can acknowledge openly about sin. And so in, in to having this conversation about sin, you're talking about issues maybe that you've gone through in your life, addictions, 
hardships, dumb train wreck decisions, uh, issues that you faced, struggles in your marriage, challenges of your past, you begin to talk like that with other people. You can say what no one else will say because you're going to move it a little further. And then you turn around and you say, let me tell you about what happened to me though. I met God. God changed my life. God, God's been working in my life. I, I screw up. The Bible calls that sin. And, but the good news is that God, God met me right where I'm at, man. So when you talk about yourself, that, people can't argue with that because that's you. Secondly, when you talk about sin, but you put it into your own camp, you're not pointing the finger at them and say, how wicked are you? You're saying, look what's wrong with me. Then you can go a step further and say, but let me tell you something really good. What's crazy about Christianity? God's a God of second chances. He gives me chance after chance. I find grace and mercy. And that's, let me just tell you something, that's different among all the Eastern religions. Eastern religions leave you lost. Never kind of figuring out, did you make, did you find the path? Did you atone for your sins through good works? The Western religion is about attaching yourself to God. Eastern is about a detachment, trying to figure out how to rid yourself from all the bad things, and you never know, did you do it? Jesus said he did it. It was all paid. It was all full at the cross. It's, the cross is like a bridge. It's a bridge between being lost and being found. Walk across that bridge. Three tips is to help you talk about Jesus, talk about yourself, talk about sin, talk about your Savior. And you say, is that biblical? Yeah, it's biblical. Listen to the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. Listen for these three things that I've mentioned, self, sin, and Savior. Watch the Apostle Paul, perhaps the best kind of Jesus conversator ever, okay? Wrote a lot in our Bible. So Paul says, 1 Timothy 12 through 16, he says, I thank him, Paul's speaking in first person, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Immediately he said, I want to thank God for him giving me strength. And then he talks about, Christ Jesus our Lord. He judged me faithful, appointing me to service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. In other words, he gives the history of his own train wreck life. See, let me tell you something, friends. There's something powerful when you stand up and you talk about your faith, but you say, let me tell you something what God's done in my life. I was a punk, I was a liar. It was a cheat. I struggled with this addiction. Still struggling with it today. But God's worked in my life. And I can't, I can't get away from that. Paul is connecting. He's saying he's identifying with his past. And then verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, meaning he did not like Jesus. Antagonistic towards Christianity. That was me. I remember saying, if the Holy Spirit is real, Jesus is real, I don't want him any part of my life because that could be the guilty conscience I'm struggling with. So if I can cut him out, then I'll be free to do whatever I want. And that was true. And, and I was an opponent towards this. But verse 13, Paul says, but I receive mercy 
because that acted so ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed in my life for me with faith and love or in Christ Jesus. Then he turns around and says, verse 15, hey, this is a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But listen to this. Then he says, of whom I'm the foremost. Sign me up. Where sin increases, grace abounds. Your life a train wreck, your life screwed up, you make a bunch of bad decisions, you got a good God. Does he want you to live in habitual sin? No, not at all. Does he want you to get your act together? Yeah, he does. Will he leave you alone so you can just figure it out by yourself? No. He'll help you do it all the way through. And then he says, this is a trustworthy saying, full acceptance, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost, but I received mercy. Did you hear it? He talked about himself, he talked about sin, and he talked about his Savior. We don't need no saving if we can't acknowledge our own sin. People don't need a Savior unless they can acknowledge their sin. This is what I always tell people. I get people call me all the time saying, my son's in big trouble, my wife's in big trouble, my husband's in big trouble. Will you talk to them? And I say this, this is my first response. I say, do they want help? No. Then I'm, I'm not any good. It's a waste of time. I'm not going to talk to them. What? You won't talk to them? You're a pastor. You should talk to them. They're in trouble. Now listen to me. Nobody will change unless they want change. We, don't, we won't find salvation until we come to that place at the bottom and go, I need saving. We don't have a powerful message about uh, Jesus and, and him being a savior unless we can acknowledge that we all sin. And that's why we have a savior who saves us from our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, for this church, that it just might be a church that on a daily basis, they would say, I met with God today. I feel like I got a new assignment. I'm going to go do this because I sense God's calling in my life to go do that. So, Father, right now, whatever, whatever issue, whatever decision stirs upon the hearts of these people individually and corporately, might it all line up for them today and say, I'm going to wait on a word for the Lord on that issue. And once they get that peace, once they get that clarity, might they take a step further and move forward and say, I'm willing to go where no one else will go. I'm willing to say what no one else will say. And Lord, in that, there's incredible blessing. There's incredible adventure. There's incredible peace. Like St. Augustine said, Lord, the soul is restless until it finds hope in thee. I pray for those that have never bridge that gap, walked across that bridge from death to life that today might be the day they place their faith in Jesus Christ by simply praying a prayer like this silently right now, Lord. Lord, I need you. Lord, I acknowledge my sin. And Lord, I believe in you as the one true God, Jesus Christ, to forgive me of my sin. And today I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Father, for everybody here, I pray that we would just go deeper into a relationship with you through your spirit and through the scriptures, strengthen us that we might 
arise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, it's been good being with you uh, in this series. Next week, I'm going to wrap it up. And uh, the following week, I'm going to be kicking off a new message series about kind of living in the last days. You might have seen all over through the media or maybe not, but a lot of folks think the, the end has come. And so I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Revelation and some of the other passages about addressing kind of the end time stuff. It'll be a really interesting series to say the least. Um, but I just want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity. And one of the ways you guys have done that at our church and that you can do that is through giving and partnership in that church uh, folks and members aren't seen as customers. They're seen as partners together in the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to keep that up. Uh, We don't pass the offering plate. Uh, We do like a touchless service as much as we can. Help keep things clean and uh, spread Jesus, not germs. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful in that though. So we can have a strong fall and keep moving forward on our mission. So thank you again. Um, for your partnership in that. Um, We're going to continue to worship together. Go ahead and let's stand. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.